Welcome to the Ben and Tony podcast. Today we have a special guest, Dave Nemitz. Dave is the founder of Bleacher Report, Inverse, and GM of Culture and Innovation at Bustle Digital Group. So you might have heard of Bleacher Report, one of the most popular sports websites in the world. It was started in 2007 and eventually sold to Turner for $175 million. From Bleacher Report to Inverse to his current role at Bustle Digital Group, Dave has always been at the epicenter of media and entertainment. He's also an active investor, startup advisor, and a huge fan of the Grateful Dead and Fish. So if you're a sports fan, you have definitely heard of Bleacher Report. And as the founder, Dave Nemitz has firsthand experience building one of the most successful media companies of the last two decades. He's remained at the forefront of media, and you should pay attention to his expert analysis on the evolution of the industry. He has some killer insights, and anyone with an interest in digital media, building an audience, and the future of content should listen to this. Hope you enjoyed the episode. From sneaking off on his work breaks to take calls for his side hustle, which was later to become Bleacher Report, all the way through to building desks in his office um, out of old doors in a nod to Bezos, uh, Dave has really lived his own philosophy of if you find yourself stuck climbing the career ladder, get off and build an elevator. And what a sizable elevator it is that he built. Um, Dave saw, sold the Bleacher Report for $175 million, uh, something that isn't obvious through his innately humble and down-to-earth attitude. So anyone who's looking to build a new media company, um, to build a community, he did it way before it was hip, or even just to understand the journey of entrepreneurship, this one ought to be a really good lesson. And we're very, very excited to be sponsored by the Making Lemonade Fund, Gen Z's fastest growing fundraiser, supporting COVID-19 relief, pediatric cancer, and a bunch of other great causes. Get behind them over at makinglemonadefund.com and sponsor made by our very own Jesse K. And now onto the podcast where we're going to be joined by Dave Nemitz. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Awesome. We got some really interesting transitions and moments of your life that we're going to go through today. We got three, but maybe before the first one, uh, leading up to that, let's take a picture of what Dave was like maybe in, in college, uh, leading up to your first job and then going to Bleach Report. But when you were younger, what was what was your motivation? Were you interested in media? What what, what were you thinking when when Dave Nemitz was in in college? So yeah, I um, mean that's a good good place to start. Yeah, growing up, uh, I, I was. I was always interested in uh, in being creative. Always always interested in entertainment. Uh, I uh, I wanted to be uh, a filmmaker or producer. Uh, so I went to college. Uh, I went to film school uh, and studied at USC uh, for that. Uh, and it, it just immersed myself in the world of film. Uh, and that that was that was really what I, I had my my sights set on. Uh, and always been a, also a, just a huge consumer of all things media, movies, music, uh, yeah, just a, a huge consumer of everything on the, on the internet, yeah, even going back to a, a very early age. Uh, so that was that was kind of the, the breeding ground uh, that, that I was in. And uh, yeah, I went to school in LA. So uh, had uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of exposure to the entertainment industry there and just uh, living in a very uh, culturally diverse area. Awesome. And it, and it sounds like uh, after you graduated from college, your first job was kind of 
setting the stage for your first major moment in, in transition, which was starting Bleacher Report. So can you tell us a story about, so what happened after Dave, when you graduated from college, first job, and what was going through your head in that story in that time period? Yeah, yeah. So when, shortly after graduating from school, I, I ended up uh, taking a job at Endeavor, uh, which at the time was uh, one of the top three or four talent agencies, uh, just you know, not representing not just the talent that you see on screen, but writers and uh, showrunners and and producers and and really the whole gamut. Uh, Endeavor has since kind of they've merged with William Morris. They became WME. Now it's Endeavor again. Uh, so it's maybe a different thing. It was a little bit more had more of a startup feel back then because it was kind of the new uh, agency in town. But it was still very much a a, a, a force to be reckoned with, uh, I guess. Uh, and. The reason I took the job there was because the, the entertainment industry was, it was an established thing where you, you don't always have to, but there are gatekeepers that uh, you, know, you often have to go through in order to, to get your foot in the door and to, to climb the rungs of the ladder. Uh, certainly people have made it other ways. You can self-finance and produce your own film and submit it to festivals and do all that. But I, I was already there immersed in uh, the entertainment industry through being at USC. I had friends who were, were there and were, were climbing the ladder as well. So I saw this as, as the, the path for me yeah. to, to get in and, and start to work my way up in the entertainment industry. Uh, and it, it, was, it was a fascinating experience uh, that was, was just super interesting to kind of be a fly on the wall yeah. because you you start when you're starting an agency you start at the bottom you start in the mail room you're you're literally you know pushing a cart around delivering mail and then you get promoted or wrong to a, being an assistant for an agent where you're sitting behind a desk making phone calls you managing their schedule all that type of stuff uh, so it was but you you start to kind of absorb all this stuff happening uh, and uh, uh, but so that I was doing that on the one hand. Uh, but then uh, on, in my own time on the side, or even when I was at work and my, you, things weren't so busy, I was working on, on building Bleacher Report. Yeah. Uh, so doing something completely my own and that I was in, in complete control of. So it was a, a really interesting dichotomy to have kind of, you know, one foot in each of those worlds. I, I'd love to know, like, was there a spark of inspiration that caused you to start Bleacher Report? Like, was there a moment... Uh, did it just happen naturally? Was it like some friends, you know, I don't, you guys just thought this is a good idea. And, and was there, was that like part of a big term plan or was it just like a hobby? I just love to know the inception of Bleacher Report and how that came about. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it happened very, very organically. Uh, it was, it's, I started it with a group of uh, friends who I'd gone to high school with and I, it, it started as, as kind of this, this conversation I remember getting an email uh, shortly after I graduated college uh, from uh, my friend uh, Dave, one of my co-founders, basically saying it was very, very vague, like, "Hey, I've got this idea. We should we should start a sports website, and let's. I want to talk to you about it." And it was we. I, I was I was I just graduated from college. I was actually backpacking around Europe at the time, so I was probably sitting at some oh, internet nice. cafe in in Prague or Switzerland or something like that. Uh, and I got this this email, and I said, "Well, yeah, sure. Let's let's talk about it." We we coordinated uh, times and figuring out how to talk to each other, and a couple other friends were on it as well. And 
uh, we started talking about it. Kind of the general gist was, hey, we're all huge sports fans. We we know our teams better than you know better than anyone else, and especially we we had all gone to pretty big sports colleges, so we we lived on these campuses. We knew some of the the big athletes. We could we could provide a perspective that the ESPNs of the world couldn't provide. So what if we started a sports website? We'd st- we'd write for it. We'd get our friends in similar positions to write for it. And we'd, we'd have this, this really interesting perspective. So we started to talk about that. And then over time, it, it snowballed into thinking about it like, hey, if, what if it wasn't just us doing this? What if it was kind of, we, so we started out with a user-generated content model. What if we opened it up to all fans who, who had this perspective and what if we created a platform and over time it, it evolved and evolved, but it started as this very organic project of, Hey, let's, let's do this. We'll start this on the side. We, we didn't really know what we were doing and we, we didn't really think of it as a business. It was just something that we wanted to, to have. And so we created it. I love that. And it's, you know, this was kind of before community was kind of fashionable, cool, how do you actually kind of build a community from scratch and start recruiting and make it feel vibrant to those other users that are, you know, you want to contribute? Yeah. So this was, this was, when we started working on it, this was 2006 was the first, we had that, that initial conversation in 2005. And then uh, we took a little bit of time to get our act together. So we launched the first ver- iteration of Bleacher Report in 2006. So yeah, this was very early days. It was kind of when the web was awakening from its slumber after <laughs> things being pretty quiet after the yeah. dot-com boom. And, but, but things were happening. YouTube had just uh, emerged. Wikipedia was like a really big deal for the first time. And people were having their minds blown that there was this free encyclopedia that was being managed by volunteers. Uh, so we kind of took a little bit of a, a cue from all of those things. I remember uh, Dig was a big inspiration yeah. that kind of burst onto the scene. You know, the first version of Dig with Kevin Rose, and he was kind of, he was an icon for us at the time and a model. Uh, and so we we talked a lot about the you know we had things like collaborative editing, which we borrowed from Wikipedia. We had kind of a a voting algorithm, which we borrowed from Dig, uh, and all, all these ideas that we jumbled together. Uh, but it really, the, the thing that mattered the most was building that community. Um, and a, a few things that we did really worked well. Number one, we were just very involved in it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, we were the first writers. We kind of brought in our friends first to be part of that, that early community. Yeah. So once we were able to start opening it up to more people, it was, there wasn't as much of that chicken and the egg issue of you, you don't have much activity because you don't have many people, but you can't get people because they're not activity. We already had kind of generated that. And we were, we were very involved with all of the, the newcomers and kind of cultivated a, a, a real community feel, um, which over time became harder to, to keep in place. And some of the early people eventually as we grew, got a little disillusioned and whatnot, but you know, that, that happened. So th- that was big. And, you know, even, even as the company grew and the, the, the other founders and I started to take on roles that were more dispersed across the business, we always had one of our co-founders focus only on community building. And that was, that was his key role. And he was, he was kind of our 
our Tom from MySpace. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he was the guy who was was friends with everyone when they they yeah. first joined and was you know welcome welcomed everyone into the community. Uh, so that was huge. Uh, and and you know the other thing we did is just we tried <laughs> tried a lot of things. I wrote a blog post about this uh, on uh, my site DaveNimitz.com. Check it out. Uh, and we'll uh, give you some time it, to pitch that shortly. Yeah, yeah. Just getting my plugs in uh, while yep. I can. Um, we we tried a lot of different things. We we posted on Craigslist to get people to join. We we forwarded emails to everyone we knew and asked them just to just send us people. Uh, we we advertised on Facebook when Facebook literally had just launched their first ad product, and we said, "Oh, this is interesting. Like maybe we can target people at different colleges." I don't think Facebook hadn't even opened up to non-college students. So we tried all sorts of different things just to, to spread the word and, and to seed that initial community of the first several hundred people on the site. And, and at the time, like this sounds like a, a, a lot of work, like were you balancing your, your day job and doing this in the night? Like, was, it, was there a point where you realized that like uh, you're burning the midnight oil and you had to like make a choice? Uh, right. How are you balancing these things at the same time? Yeah, so it was, about about an, an eight or nine month period from when we first launched that uh, that initial site uh, and it, where I was still working at Endeavor and my my other co-founders were still working at their first jobs out of college and we were we were kind of balancing this and I remember I, during my breaks at work I would sneak off and go down to to the alley behind the building where yeah. other people <laughs> took their smoke smoke breaks and I was I was on my cell phone chatting with my founders about something and I remember you know doing the thing where I'd have a, a window open of my personal email and doing correspondence back and forth with uh, with people I was working on the site with while I was at work and then having to quickly <laughs> close that and, and open up my Your work email if my boss walked by, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I, I was I was young. I was I was 22. Uh, I, I I didn't know social life, but I I had to sacrifice a lot of, of uh, regular 22 year old social life to do this. I remember at the time I, I had friends who were working other jobs out of college and I'd, I'd tell them this thing I was working on and doing and uh, I couldn't go out tonight because I've got to work on this and yeah. I'd get some funny looks and you know a lot of people they kind of like oh why are you wasting your time with that yeah and it continued long after I left Endeavor and committed yeah. to it full-time and people just kind of said oh yeah go do that uh and you know we'll see how that goes and yeah still got a lot of funny looks and eventually that that started to change but uh but yeah the the that time was it it was uh a lot of just trying to push things forward to the point where eventually we started to see the potential in it and kind of had to make that decision around all right do you know should we commit to this full time yeah and, and how do you kind of keep conviction in yourself when you're getting those funny looks Uh, I was just really passionate about it, and it, I think it helped having some friends that were I was working on it with too. So at least they bought into it, and you know, we took it pretty seriously. Uh, you know, maybe a little too seriously sometimes, uh, but but 
but that helped a lot. And, and not everyone felt that way. We had some people who believed in us uh, and who, who helped us out in the early days. Uh, and that encouraged us too. Uh, and we had one of my co-founders, his, uh, his cousin had, uh, was one of the, the uh, co-founders at College Humor and had uh was was kind of a few years ahead of us and had built that we remember remembered when he had been in our shoes and that he had been just a few friends working on a small project that only we and a handful of other people knew about and we saw kind of the the progression there so that gave us a lot of belief that we could do it too uh and there were definitely a lot of times where i just wanted to forget about it and live a regular 22 year old's life and and move on but we we built up enough momentum that uh, that it kept us going. Yeah, and what was the inflection point of momentum? Like, did you when you after like I don't know eight nine months, you guys thought okay, we have this number of users, um, we see this traction level. Therefore, you've now got to the point where you can say okay, I'm going to quit my job and do this full time. Like, did you how did you like come to that decision? Like, was it from a metric perspective about momentum or just gut feeling? Uh, th there were definitely metric points that we felt were, wow, this is really real. This is really happening, which looking back in hindsight, pitifully small, but <laughs> at the time they seemed to, you know, I remember, it may have been our first time we had 10,000 unique visitors in a month, which we were, yeah. we were like, well, there's 10,000 people coming to our website. This is a huge deal. This is, things are happening. Yeah. And looking back, it's, it's like, wow, we had a long, long way to go from there until it was really something, but you, you, it, it was enough to, to really get us excited and, and, uh, and to see the potential. Um, but there wasn't one point where we said, Hey, if we get it to this point, then we're going all in. It was really more of a, of a gut feel and kind of a, a, what do I have to lose type thing. Yeah. And, uh, and part of it for me personally, was being in that environment where if I stayed on the path at Endeavor, I knew I had to depend on, some of it was on my, myself and kind of, and my, my work ethic and, and everything, but a lot of it was based on the, the gatekeepers ahead of me on working my way up at the agency, eventually trying to go, you know, leverage that to hop into another job. Uh, and I, I even, uh, I, I worked at this, uh, or I, I joined, uh, this this committee that they were starting at Endeavor, which was was focused all around uh, trying to figure out digital media because uh, digital was was just starting to become a thing again. Uh, so I I it was I saw it as maybe my opportunity to to uh, to get my foot further in the door, and and I joined this committee and it was it was just eye opening in terms of realizing compared to what I was doing on my own, they still had so far to go in terms of really get, being able to get a grasp on the potential for digital media. They were thinking about it still very transactionally and, and, uh, and not super creatively for their, their, their clients. And, and they've since they've done a, a phenomenal job. So uh, the, the industry caught up, but seeing that it really helped me think about it. Like I can stay here and try to work my way up in this industry where uh I've got a lot of gatekeepers ahead of me and uh, a lot of things holding me back. Or I, yeah, I can realize that I've already got something going that if I go all in on, I can control and I, I, can, I can really see the upside. Uh, and again, the downside for me was I was 22. 
I wasn't really making much money at Endeavor anyway. They they pay you, you know, basically minimum wage for those those jobs. And it was it's all about the experience and the access. Uh, so worst case scenario, it it didn't work out, and I go get another entertainment industry job. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a family. So I was lucky in that regard that I could I did, had the ability to go all in. I moved back in with my parents, and yeah. you know, the whole the whole thing. Uh, so it was it was a good time in my life to be able to to commit and do something like that. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so the- and, and- I guess, um, uh, you know, I love what you said about if you find yourself stuck climbing the career ladder, get off and build an elevator. I think that, I mean, that just really resonates with me. I absolutely love that. Um, is there anyone who you think shouldn't take that advice? Um, look, every, everyone's situation is, is different. Uh, and I, I, I won't say that if you're if you're uh, in a, going into a field like medicine, if you're going into, if you, if you have a, a, a very set aspiration of a certain field where you, you have to climb the career ladder or you have to put, pay your dues, my hat's off to you. But I think a lot of people feel like they're, they're stuck in a role or they need, they, they just need that extra experience or they need to, they need to wait until they've achieved a certain level of comfort uh, to be able to try that thing that they really wanted to do. Uh, and I, I think, you know, the, the reality is that the, the further you, you pursue that kind of idea, the harder it then becomes to, to pull yourself away for it, from it and, and take yourself on a different path. And uh, I think one of the things that excites me about the creator economy, and I know a lot of other people is, it's, it's showing a path for a lot of people to pursue projects that they're interested in, pursue uh, different ways of, of making money, of uh, making a living for themselves uh, that don't require being on a career path or that you can even do if you're on that path and you can carve out time to create something on your own and, and, and start to, to develop a, a way to make money off of it. Uh, so I think that, that, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was true back then. And it was something that we were able to do back then, even though a lot of this stuff wasn't in place. And it's even more true today, just because of all of these tools and all the communities and, and all the possibility that, uh, that's out there. And I think there's like a level of catharsis and true, like, like self-actualization that comes when you take that big leap to actually try to do something yourself, whether you want to go off and become a writer uh, content creator of any type, it, it allows you to do things that are probably more true to you. Um, now, to, to close off on this like first transition in your life, um, before we move on to the next one, do you remember a particular like moment or story where you felt like, okay, I've, I've like crossed the Rubicon, you know, I've, I've decided to go all in on this Bleacher Report thing, Let, like, you know, gritting your teeth and saying, okay, this is it, this, I've, I've made the big decision. Yeah, no one one story that that sticks out uh, is we so we once once I quit the job uh, and I was living in LA. I moved back in with my parents uh, in in the Bay Area. My other co-founders uh, did as well, and we we each kind of did it at different points. It was it took a little cajoling to get everyone to to hundred percent commit, but it was a little bit of a once the dominoes started to fall. It worked. So we, we got, um, we decided 
we wanted to, uh, we decided we want to have an office. We didn't want to work out of our parents' houses or anything like that. So we, we found this tiny windowless office a couple blocks from our high school. Uh, it had no air conditioning. It was the middle of, of uh, the summer in Northern California. So it was, it was brutally hot in there, but uh, it was, it was one of those humble beginnings uh, types of things that, you know, really we felt like, okay, we're starting, we're starting here and, and you were, we're, we're putting in the time and, or we're going to be able to look back on this and say that that this was this was where it all started, uh, and we um, we even we we very much bought into the whole mythology of the startup. So we we were inspired by uh, the story of uh, of Amazon and and Bezos and when they started and how they built uh, all their desks out of yeah. old doors. And it was so we we I got some old doors off of Craigslist for free. Uh, and along with a lot of, we, we found some free whiteboards off of Craigslist that that we we went and picked up somewhere. So everything was 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 free that we furnished our office with. We got the old doors and we built desks out of them. <laughs> and I used some I can't remember what it was some kind of industrial glue or something that I bought <laughs> at the hardware store. And we're sitting in that windowless office with no ventilation, building these doors, inhaling these fumes. And I think about <laughs> halfway through building it. I felt like I was about to pass out and start, the thought starts crossing my mind. Am I going to die before even getting <laughs> to, to really like launch this company? Uh, but fortunately, at least uh, as far as I know, the, the fumes didn't have any lasting effects. <laughs> but that was that was a real moment where I was like, all right, we're, you know, we're really doing this. Yeah, that's an amazing point of the mythology of Bleacher Report. Um now, if, if we fast forward a few years here, so obviously the Bleacher Report story itself, I mean, that's probably like a 10 hour separate podcast. We'll, we'll do that separately. But uh, it seems to have culminated in this one point where you sold the company. Uh, could you explain like, I guess, leading up to that, how did this come about? What's the story behind that? And what was going through your head? What, what had you had to overcome in order to get to that point? Yeah, so there's, there's, uh, there's the old saying that, uh, companies aren't sold, they're bought. Uh, and that was definitely uh, true of Bleacher Report. And we had tried to sell the company many times before, uh, not, in a, uh, not in a way where we were desperate to sell or we were shopping or anything, but we were, we were young founders and we idolized places like, like ESPN and we had had a couple a couple bits of interest from some of the big sports players uh, pretty early on in Bleach Report's life, and man, we we were somewhat naive, but we were so excited. We were so we went into those being like, "Wow, this could be really it. This could be the the big moment where everything changes for Bleach Report, where we we uh, we we really do it." And we went into those meetings just setting ourselves up for disappointment and, and coming out, of course, uh, having been through those now on both sides all the time, bigger companies like to bring in, you know, start newer startups and do fishing expeditions or kick the tires or whatever. And it's, it's, we, 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 we very much uh, were, were reading into things too much. So having been through that a few times early on, we, over time, we got much more, uh, uh, I guess, realistic about about things, and and as we had more more su- success, 
we, uh, we we really started to see the long-term potential. So uh, by the time we come around to when the company eventually sold, we were we'd been at it for six or seven years. Uh, we just re- we had we had uh, been building the company very slowly, and then all of a sudden it started to take off. Uh, it was taking off like a rocket ship, and uh, this is around 2010, 2011. Everything was just clicking, growing like crazy. Audience-wise, revenue was taking off. We were becoming profitable. We, the, the company size was growing. We were bringing in all these great big-name executives uh, to our exec team, uh, and uh, we'd gone from this unknown startup to this big overnight success that that a lot of people knew about, which was was awesome. Um, and on the heels of all that, we, we ended up raising, uh, for us, w- was a, a really big round of funding. Uh, it was our first, or I guess our second true venture round, uh, but we, we raised about 20 million. Uh, it was led by Oak, uh, and they had, they had inv- been a big investor in Huffington Post and, and had had some other big wins in, in our category. Uh, and this was our our money that we were going to use to go out and really turn the company into the next ESPN. And uh, we were, we were really aligned behind this, this idea of going all in and going the distance. Uh, And about six months after we closed that round, uh, we, we had a a meeting with, uh, with Turner um, that we thought was going to be a biz dev meeting that turned into them uh, expressing interest in buying the company. Uh, And so that, led to this whole uh, long courtship of, of them expressing interest in us and us talking to them and us yeah, us at certain points stepping back and, and then the same and, and eventually culminated in, the, in them buying us about uh, nine months later. Uh, so, which ended up being a great deal. And part of that was because we were so committed to the plan that we were on that they really had to put something in front of us that made a ton of sense because we weren't weren't thinking about selling in that moment uh but uh but yeah it was uh it was it was also six seven years into into building so it was very cathartic uh yeah. you know the deal aside to just get to that point and and really be able to put an exclamation point on it yeah you mentioned that there was there was a, a time when everything kind of started to click what what happened how did that happen uh, so some of it was was micro and some of it was macro. So we 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 yeah you know, we launched the first version of Bleach Report in two thousand six. That was that was kind of the very bare bones basic version. Uh, we ended up uh, leaving our jobs and going all in on it in two thousand seven, and uh, we we launched a more substantial version and then raised our first angel round uh, after that. Uh, that took us to middle of 2008 and all of a sudden the, the economy crashed and everything we Sequoia put out the RIP good times uh, a presentation and uh, it was a, a very a very dark time and we were fortunate to have some money in the bank then but things were things were moving very slowly in the economy uh, then it was very hard for us to to establish our our uh, our business model and and uh, our, our prospects were were fairly dim. Um, so while we were doing that, we got very scrappy. Uh, we got we we really figured out a, a, a model of how to you know, get the most 
growth and uh, and uh, uh, and really build the brand without spending a lot of money. Um, and we also really use that time to solve a lot of underlying issues with with how how we ran the business and and to really figure out product market fit or whatever you want to call it. Um, so while that all, all that was happening, then all of a sudden in 2010, the economy started to revive and things started to open up. Uh, advertisers started to spend money again. Uh, not that they weren't spending money, but they started to take more chances and uh, digital was, uh, was spending was, was really starting to take off. And so all that was happening right as we had survived this, this long winter and had really, I would say, outlasted a lot of other uh, competitors who, who didn't make it through, um, or we were just able to, because of our scrappiness, get through all that in a, in a much stronger way. And we really kind of hit our stride, uh, as, you know, uh, internally, right. As those external factors were really starting to work in our favor. Uh, another big one being the shift to mobile, which, uh, which we saw, uh, Early on, we saw a lot. You know, we were mostly desktop, and then, then as as mobile really started to, to rise, we saw most of our audience shift to mobile. We figured out how to monetize that, and we launched uh, a, a mobile app pretty early uh, that we were really uh, able to to leverage the growth there and and kind of hit that at the right point. So, all that was happening, you know, right around the same time in in, in 2010 and. We, we were fortunate to be at a point where we could just kind of keep keep doubling down on the things that we're working. Seems like the 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 sale at that point was like the culmination of like such a long, arduous journey over many years, of course, and the ups and the downs. When when you got to that point, how did you feel about like what's next? Is it like okay, Bleach Report, like I'm I'm staying on. Is this the sale just signifies a new stage in the company's career, or did you see it as like it's maybe this is a signal for me to move on to something new. Like what, what did it represent to you like for the rest of your life when you thought about what the sale of the dish report meant? So I, I was ready to, I was ready to, to move on. I was ready to do something new. And I think part of this was I, I was young. I was, I had spent pretty much all my twenties uh, focusing on this one thing. And I, I think I was just, I was ready to do something different. And I, I felt like it, it had kind of consumed me for so long that we, we got it to a, a finish line. And there were, there were also some things going on with in terms of the internal politics at the company as things grew and it feeling less like a startup and more like a, you know, a bigger company that uh, I, I, I didn't feel as at home in, in that kind of environment. Uh, that, and of course we were then going to be swallowed up by an even bigger company. And, and it, it, it just didn't, didn't feel like the thing that I wanted to do now in hindsight, uh, maybe I, with some more maturity, I, maybe I would have, would have done something differently, but I, I think I was also ready to just hit pause and, and, and kind of take a refresh, uh, after, after so many years working on this and, and, and putting my all into it. Uh, so I did step back, um, and and I I, I uh, talked about this as well in, in in one of my newsletters. But I I experienced this this thing called the arrival fallacy, where you you work so hard working towards a goal, and it's it's kind of all you think about. And uh, yeah, for me that was 
is selling, but I guess just achieving some level of success. You as a founder, you, you, you always have people always ask you about your exit strategy and maybe selling and maybe something else, but you, you, you want to be building towards something. And this was kind of the, the success that we were building towards. And then you, you finally get to that point and you're kind of left thinking what's next. And that can be sometimes a very empty feeling. Uh, because you you don't have that goal that you've been striving for for so long or that thing that consumed you for so long. Uh, so I experienced that and I, you, when I stepped away uh, and it took a while to start to put the pieces together and, and figure out what that what's next was. And, and yeah, I, I sometimes talk about it, that was kind of my wandering through the desert time of not really knowing what I was going to do and knowing that I kind of wanted to take some time off, but, uh, you know, having, having a little bit of a, a void, a vacuum in my life around what, where I was going next. Uh, so it was, it was both, a, a, a an incredible time and, and, uh, you know, a time of really feeling a lot of, uh, gratitude around the success that we had, but also kind of a jarring experience to, to, to have. What, what did you do then? Did you literally like take time off? Did you travel? Did you get into yoga? Did you just say, I'm going to like disconnect from the business world, go read some books? Like in terms of like the immediate next step, right? I feel like it's interesting to see like, how do you deal with that sort of uh, arrival fallacy, like yeah. practically? So the, the day I officially left Bleacher Report uh, and sent my, I, I hit send on my farewell note to the team sitting on uh, the tarmac of a flight to Japan. Uh, and uh, what a bad I, place to uh, do it. Yeah, so, so that, I mean, that was, that was great. And that was part of the thing. It was like, I need to just get, get completely uh, out and into a new headspace. So my, my wife and I, we, we went on a, a trip uh, around, as before we had kids, we went on a trip around Southeast Asia, Japan and then Southeast Asia for, a couple months and this was it, was it was a bucket list thing it was also a i can finally just let go and and do something uh and uh not be thinking about uh what's why is our traffic down this week or what's going on with uh uh you know the the next round of funding that that uh we're, we're in the middle of raising and, and could completely forget about those types of things and it was almost a little bit of a callback to that that backtrack backpacking trip around Asia or around Europe uh, that I, I did uh, right after college uh, when I was also in a mode of thinking about what to do next and and ultimately started working on on Bleacher Report at the end of that. Uh, so that was that was good to just completely get out and and uh, and be able to uh, just have a, a completely new perspective on things. Uh, but I think for me coming back, uh, once I came back from that trip, uh, I didn't really have a plan about what I was going to do next. It was, all right, I'll figure it out. And I'll have, and that I think in hindsight, it, it was, uh, it was less intentional and more just winging it of, oh, I'm going to think of, I'll spend some time brainstorming. I'll, take meetings with people, I'll kind of just, just take things as they come and see what happens. Uh, and so it was, was definitely a period where I felt very unmoored 
yeah. in 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 professionally but also just in life and not knowing what I was going to do next or what you know what what uh what my purpose was or what yeah. what my my next goal was it 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 felt very uncomfortable to be sitting in that place for 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 that next period after feeling so unmoored uh you then at one point in a span of a year became a dad started a second company and moved from san francisco to, to new york was that immediately afterwards like what was the story behind that which i guess is like your third big transition moment yeah yeah so that, there was about a year year and a half uh in between that uh and where i i did some traveling like the asia trip uh i uh, you mentioned earlier i'm a big grateful dead fan also a big yeah. fish fan fortunately caught uh one of one of fish's uh best tours in 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 recent memory in uh in 2013 so some highlights there uh that uh that were, were good timing uh for me but uh but i i spent a lot of time going off on different directions that ultimately didn't feel right uh, i i started dabbling in investing and did some angel investments and and thought oh me i'll become an investor and and talked to some VCs and, and considered like an EIR or kind of a venture partner type thing. And, and that just didn't feel right. And so I, I kind of reeled it back in and I, I continue to angel invest, but it's more of a side thing for me as opposed to something that would be my, my number one thing. Uh, I, I started advising companies, uh, which was really interesting. I thought it was, it would be a good way to just learn about different companies and maybe, maybe one that I'd more involved with, or maybe something that would help spark an idea around something that I would want to do. Um, and there were a couple that I actually got pretty deeply involved with, uh, which was another challenge of the period of being able to kind of sit back and not just try to get busy for busy's sake. Uh, and I'm the, I'm a, type of person who just, I get interested in something, I just very quickly start to go all in on it. And so I found myself doing that with a couple of the companies that I was advising, where I got in pretty deep with them. And at a certain point realized, oh, the, you know, these are interesting things, but this is not what I want to be doing. Or there's, there were, were red flags that I missed because I was just so excited about jumping into something. So I was in this, this, this weird kind of phase where I was dipping in and out of different things uh, and then ultimately uh, decided to, to launch Inverse. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I, I think be actually becoming a dad, it was, it was all very tied together. So I was in the process of, of starting a family. I wasn't a dad yet, but I think I realized that, hey, I'm, I'm getting into a mode of life where unlike my earlier self uh, launching Bleacher Report, I do have more responsibilities. I have uh, more things I need to take care of. I, I need to figure this out. And uh, it's going to be a lot harder to figure something out when uh, I've got a, a new baby and, and, uh, and life is even more serious and demanding. Uh, so uh, started started thinking about inverse and started really thinking about, I need to, I, I want to work on something that I'm not getting pulled into something that I just kind of in latching onto because it's out there, but something that, that I really believe in and, and I want to do. Um, and uh, I want to want to get it together in a very intentional way. Um, and that, that led me back to, to looking at, all right, let me draw on my 
my history, my background, building media companies. And, and so I, I decided to launch uh, a new media company called Inverse. And, and around the same time, uh, one of my my co-founders of Inverse, who was a, was a, a, a lead engineer at, at Bleacher Report, was just leaving Bleacher and Turner and, and thinking about uh, starting something new as well. So we we started some of those conversations uh, and that uh, that led to us launching that, which uh, um, I, I uh, started working on the company while um, before I was a dad, but my 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 first uh, child was born uh, a few weeks before we actually launched Inverse officially. So that was a, a an interesting time and 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 just kind of a crazy time. But uh, it 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 uh, it all kind of ties that phase of my life together very well in my memory. Uh, and then about a year later, uh, I decided to move uh, both my family and the company from San Francisco to New York, which was uh, another another huge transition that all kind of snowballed together. There, there's a lot going on there. So, so just tell, tell us <laughs> yeah. about Inverse. Like, what, what what is the what is the company? What do you do? So, Inverse Inverse is a media company uh, that that covers science uh, and uh, and science fiction essentially, uh, and, and covers both uh, the the real world world of progress and the world of possibility. Uh, and, and a big inspiration for Inverse uh, was a publication called Omni Magazine, uh, which which uh, I was obsessed with as a kid. Uh, and, and again, that yeah, as part of that whole soul searching period, I, I, I thought about all right, what led me to to start Bleacher Report? Is, you know, I was a huge sports fan as a kid. I was read Sports Illustrated. I watched uh, Sports Center religiously. And Bleacher Report was putting my own spin on it, uh, and that that led me to think about some of my other passions and interests, and what what other media categories were ripe for a refresh. Uh, and Omni was this magazine that was around in like the '80s and the early '90s. It was actually uh, uh, launched by Bob Guccione, the the founder of Penthouse. and it was kind of his more legit uh, or one of his more legit properties. Uh, but it was it was this fascinating uh, combination of really far out there science stories along with uh, original science fiction and kind of more fantastical stuff. And they had these great covers that were you know kind of future visions and illustrations and things like that. So uh, I, you know, I was obsessed with it as a kid. Uh, and Wired magazine was a was kind of a later iteration that was a little bit more tech and more 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 real than uh than fiction but uh was was kind of a next next gen of that in some ways uh so i launched uh, created inverse as a digital media company uh following a very similar playbook uh as bleacher report focused on this category with with the insight that there was just a, a massively uh, underserved market of young people who were both interested in, in science and technology, driven by the rise of digital, driven driven by you know kind of the the uh, uh, influence of technology in every facet of our lives. Who culturally were also obsessed with science fiction and comic books and and all of these these cultural uh, uh, icons that had once been 
fringe and kind of for the nerds that are now the mainstream and for everyone. So uh, we had we had I had the idea of putting those together uh, in in a publication that could could speak to this new audience. That's so fascinating. I love that. And it, just between this and Bleacher Report, it, you, you've really sat at the intersection between creating um, and pa- the passion economy as well. Um, and obviously with, you know, new platforms like OnDeck, uh, Substack coming out, uh, what do you make of this whole space of kind of the overlap of passion um, uh, and creating? Uh, we're at a really interesting inflection point. Uh, there, There is it's it's really interesting to me because I've seen multiple waves of this. Like I said, when we launched Bleacher Report, it was kind of the the first wave of Web 2.0 and these online communities and things like Dig and Reddit launching and Wikipedia and uh, blogs becoming a more mainstream thing. And then that that wave went up and down, and we, we saw some of these communities balloon into massive social media sites that have had very unexpected uh, impacts on society and all sorts of things. We saw a lot of these blogs and smaller uh, content sites turn into really big, you know, massive operations like, like BuzzFeed or like BDG. Uh, and at the same time as, as that sector grew, uh, media became a very challenged industry where a ton of money and venture capital flowed into it. And there were a lot of very uh, well-publicized issues in terms of those companies not panning out or shutting down overnight or all sorts of things where, where media became a very uh, tough space to be in. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the most recent uh, reference point that, that I have for, for the space. But then in the last couple of years, there's been this, this great resurgence and kind of rebirth of the individual creator and empowering people with tools to do things on a smaller scale that don't require venture capital. In fact, they, they let people avoid it and still have great success. Uh, and it's, it's kind of the pendulum swinging back uh, to the way things were in, in those earlier days. Uh, and I think uh, it's 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 really encouraging, and it it just it, it's great to see that that in some ways the web is returning to those earlier ideas of it, where uh, it is a platform and it is a a a, a medium where anyone can express themselves uh, and, and anyone can can build an audience and and now make a living for themselves because those tools are more readily available. Uh, so I, I'm incredibly encouraged by it, uh, and uh, and yeah, I think we're going to see new types of media companies be built that uh, are are going to look very different than uh, the the media companies that I built or the media companies of the legacy years. Right, and, and one thing we were speaking about before was you know that uh, there's this saying that you know every every company is a media company now. What does that actually mean to you? I, I think it's every company or every person has the ability to shape their message uh, online, to build an audience, uh, to, to go direct. Uh, we, we used to, even, even at Bleacher Report or, or the early days at Inverse, even though we were media companies, we used to spend so much time 
trying to think about PR and how do we get our story out there and how do we how do we again deal with those gatekeepers in uh, the the mainstream press to get the word out about what we were doing and it's so funny now to think about that why why do you even bother with that uh, when you can get your message out there directly you can build your audience directly uh, and you can you can leverage all these tools to uh, have a direct one-to-one -one relationship uh, with your audience and uh, I think. There, there are a lot of examples of people who are doing that who are not ultimately media companies or media where media isn't their their end goal, but they're they're building they're building their business, they're building their their career, they're building their platform with a media audience building mentality, uh, and uh, and I I think there's there is a lot happening right now that uh, is 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 happening right now with a subset of people who are doing that that's going to just become the way things are done are there are there certain people or new media companies that in particular you admire or find most exciting and also like maybe as an add-on to that question how about an underrated one like maybe there's some obvious ones where people recognize the names but maybe there's a couple that in your head are like you know most people aren't aware of this person or this kind of company so what would those be hmm 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 Put me put me on the spot here so uh i i i it's all good it's all good uh uh yeah one i one i i like to talk about uh i went on his uh podcast not too long ago uh pomp anthony pompliano uh i think uh he he's he is someone that i remember very early on when he started doing his thing on on twitter and and uh and kind of being the being the cheerleader for bitcoin and uh and building a personality around himself and this was when his following was very small and it was it was easy to dismiss or easy to kind of laugh at and say oh who yep. is this guy what well, you know it's it's, it's kind of uh he's he's uh he's really leaning into this uh but uh you got to respect the the game and the dedication uh, and I think the, yeah, he just posted a, a, a kind of end of year review on what he's done in terms of building his audience and all the channels that he's built out um, and incredibly impressive and something where, uh, you know, he's executing at a higher level than a lot of established media companies. And, uh, you know, certainly it's not just him alone. I know he has, uh, he has a team and he has help, but he's effectively it's a it's a one-man operation um and uh i think there's a lot to take away there that both in terms of the dedication of seeing this vision committing to it uh yeah. not listening to the haters and just going for it and really sticking to the process and and making it work and the, the time that he's put in uh so uh so i think that's that's a great example and then you look at the fact that well, I'm sure he's, he makes some money directly off of his media efforts. That's really yeah. not the end goal for him. Uh, he, you know, he's an investor first, and yep. this is all thinking about how do I leverage building an audience? Uh, how do I leverage uh, media in order to, uh, to build something uh, or to, to build value that can then uh, flow into my, my main focus? Uh, so uh so yeah, I, I I look at look at him, and I, there there are a lot of people like that who are now seeing this and doing it 
quick shout out on, to his, on uh, own skill or... his fantastic wife, Polina, as well, who was our first yeah. ever guest yep. on the podcast. Yep. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I see, I see people following that model, that playbook. And again, it's not, it, it's not going to work for everyone or everyone has to find what works for them. Uh, but I think it shows that you, you find that niche, you commit to yourself, uh, and, and you, you just, you, you have to go all in on it and, and, and stick to the process, stick to what works. Uh, another, uh, founder media brand uh, i'm i'm just a, a massive fan of as uh, web smith at, at 2 p.m um and again web i, I remember meeting uh, i was pretty early on at inverse i think he was still um he was still working um you know kind of more on you know he, he wasn't working on 2 p.m full time it was like a side thing he was working in the dtc dtc world um and uh you know we were chatting about some things and 2 p.m. was just this side thing that he was he was doing and he he mentioned to me and I signed up and I was like oh this is cool it's interesting I'll I'll keep tabs on it and just watching that evolution of him committing to it him finding his stride uh and building it into something and it to the point where he could leave and, and work on it full-time then he could build other businesses on top of it he could build uh additional communities on top of it um, and, and seeing that trajectory, uh, it has been, uh, just incredible to watch. Amazing. Well, it's a super exciting time for the media industry. And I think we're, we're all, everybody here on this, on this interview is definitely bullish. Um, and really excited to see what happens. I feel like there's so much excitement. Also the, thing, the, the fact that I think COVID probably accelerates a lot of this stuff, you know, like the, the idea of, let's say someone becoming a podcaster or writer that it's still fringe and requires a lot of bravery, but sometimes you think about the last 10 months kind of pushing people just sometimes out of necessity or just the fact that the world's changed. Um, to to uh, end each interview, Dave, we have a tradition uh, before, uh, you know, giving some shout outs and stuff. We've got two questions that uh, we ask uh, each guest. And should I do the first one, Ben? Can you give the second one? Okay. Um, first one is, what is your favorite rom-com? Hmm. Let me think about that. I just I love the lean back that we get from every guest. Thought-provoking question we've asked. Yeah. <laughs> um so I'm gonna admit, as much of a film guy as I am, yeah. I'm not a huge rom-com guy. All good. All good. Uh, no shame in that, but I'm gonna go with what what I consider uh a very offbeat rom-com uh and one of my uh if very offbeat i will say one of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time the graduate um nice. you know what's nice. what's a better romantic comedy than uh you know just a, a young college graduate having a a, a sorted affair with uh, one of his uh his parents friends and and then her daughter um but uh but yeah one of uh one of my my all-time favorite movies uh i think it's brilliant uh yeah, that's a and, new one uh, i have to check that out never never seen it uh oh oh you should you should watch Plastic. it the laughs are you know it's not a it's not a slapstick rom-com the laughs are, are but they're, they're there they're there uh check it out and we'll, we can talk about it sometime i love it and and the second question we go for is uh what advice would you give your 18 year old self 
but back to when I was 18. Uh, just, just in, in life, love, business, happiness, be anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, uh, things have worked out pretty well. And, and so I, I wouldn't want to change the course too much. Uh, but I, I would tell myself to, to stop, stop every once in a while and, and, uh, and savor it and, and, uh, and to slow down and, and, and be, be present, be mindful. Uh, something, uh, you know, it's, I feel like it's a little bit of a cliche almost now to talk about mindfulness and meditation, especially on a, on a podcast uh, and focused around Silicon Valley and, and creativity and all that stuff. But uh, uh, that shit really works. Uh, and it's something that, uh, that I've gotten into uh, over the last few years and really gotten me through a lot. And I think a lot about my, my younger years and my younger self when I was either all over the place or going through ups and downs or life was crazy and going, uh, you know, a million miles a minute and just thinking, wow, you know, I, I really like stopped to like slow down and, and really think about things. Yeah. Um, and that, that might've helped me get through some of those, those tougher mo moments in a more balanced, more sane way. So I'd say that. And how, how did, how did you access that? Like, how do you get into it? Uh, so I, I, I just started, you know, I heard, heard everyone talking about, yeah. about meditating and, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's something I was always a little curious about, but never quite knew, uh, where to start. Uh, and I, I, uh, remember being in a conversation with a couple other, uh, CEOs about some big problem that one of them was going through. And, and the other one said, well, have you tried meditating? And it, the, the answers or the, the, that, that question seemed almost like how would meditating help them with that problem? But I thought, well, I might as well give it a try. And I wasn't even the one I had my own, my own problems, but uh, that kind of stuck with me. I was like, well, maybe I should just give this a shot. Um, and so I, I downloaded a few of the, the meditation apps and tried a few of them, found one that I liked and just decided to commit to it. Uh, and uh, I, it hasn't been no new door of perception has completely opened up for me. I'd need something a little bit stronger to get that. Uh, but, uh, it has been just a great, uh, you know, kind of presence, uh, in my life to help remind me to slow down, uh, think about things and, and, and be mindful and present. Love it. And, and actually the one thing we haven't asked you to do yet is we give a 60 second window for a pitch on anything you want. So 60 seconds, what is it? And tell us about it. Yeah. So uh, I've mentioned my, my site, my newsletter a couple of times. And uh, as I've been building these other media companies and in, uh, in, in this world for so long, I've, I've often been uh, kind of behind the scenes uh, as, as uh, it, you know, one of the, the people putting things together, but I, I haven't, haven't really been out front and center since those early uh, days of Bleacher Report when, when I was uh, writing for the site. Uh, so uh, about six months ago, I decided to, to join the creator economy a little bit. Nice. And uh, I, I set up my, my site, davidnimitz.com. Uh, I, I'm doing a weekly newsletter now. Uh, it's uh, 
primarily focused on on media, startup stories, talk about mindset, talk about creative process, uh, and, and really draw on my experience at, at Bleach Report and Inverse and, and just uh, across the board. Uh, and, and so I, I would uh, recommend anyone to go check it out. Uh, so you can sign up there uh, if you like it. Follow me on Twitter at uh, Dave Nemitz as well. And uh, uh, that's uh, that's that's kind of my my project right now of uh, of of being uh, being in creative mode. Amazing. Thank you, DaveNemitz.com to everybody listening. And thank you, Dave, for for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a lot of fun.